Okay, we are going to read, we are reading out of Daniel chapter 9, we are part of the way through, but I wanted to start in Ezekiel 14 to touch upon some verses that I had mentioned last time, but we didn't read it. So what we're going to do is we're going to lay some groundwork for the texts that we will be reading today out of Daniel chapter 9, and we're going to start in Ezekiel chapter 14. So let me, let me again put this in context. There were three attacks that Nebuchadnezzar made on the nation of Israel. One was in 605 BC, that was the first attack. That's when he took Daniel, his three friends, and some of the nobility. And then, then uh, uh, seven years later, he attacked again in 597 BC. He took 10,000 art- artisans and Ezekiel, the prophet. In 587, 586, he went and he totally wiped out Jerusalem and took many to Babylon and killed many, many others. And so the year that this chapter in Daniel chapter 9 is taking place is actually 539 B.C. So it's actually been 67 years since that first attack in in, uh, 605 B.C., 66 or 67 years. It's been quite some time. So remember that there were three prophets. Jeremiah was prophesying in the land of Israel at this time, in in Judah, in in, uh, Jerusalem at this time. He was a little bit older than Daniel and Ezekiel, but not much older, but he was prophesying. Contemporary with him was Daniel. Daniel was taken as a young man, and contemporary with Daniel and Jeremiah was Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken in the second attack, So he was also in Babylon, but he was not in the palace. He was among the masses of the Jews prophesying. So that lays the groundwork. And let's read what the prophet Ezekiel has to say. This is in Ezekiel chapter 14. We're going to start reading from verse 12. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, if a country sins against me by committing unfaithfulness, and I stretch out my hand against it, destroy its supply of bread, send famine against it, and cut off from it, both man and beast, even though these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, were in its midst, by their own righteousness they could only deliver themselves, declares the Lord. If I were to cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they depopulated it, and it became desolate so that no one would pass through it because of the beasts, though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their sons or their daughters. They alone would be delivered, but the country would be desolate. Or if I should bring sword on the country and say, let the sword pass through the country and cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in its midst, as I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either the sons or their daughters, but they alone would be delivered. Or if I should send a plague against the country and pour out my wrath in blood to cut off man and beast from it, even though Noah, Daniel, and Job were in its midst, As I live, declares the Lord, they could not deliver either their son or their daughter. They would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. So Daniel's contemporary, in the same land in which Daniel is living, this is being prophesied in Babylon, is putting Daniel in the same category as Noah and Job. The righteous Noah and the righteous Job. It says of Job, there was no one more righteous in the entire East when he lived. But he is speaking about Noah and Job who lived long before he lived and he puts Daniel, his contemporary, in that category. That's huge in speaking to Daniel's righteousness. 
we don't generally elevate living people that well. What we do is we elevate people after they've gone. And after they've been long gone, everybody who knew them personally is gone. Then you start elevating. Wasn't he such a great man? Because you don't know his foibles. Because he's long past. This is actually in the same neighborhood in which Daniel is living. He's putting Daniel in the same category as Noah and Job. So what does this tell us? It tells us Daniel was an extremely righteous man, even viewed by the standards of his own day. And what we're going to see in the book of Daniel is we're going to see Daniel is going to start making reference to things that Moses wrote. So I want to first go back and look at what Moses wrote. So look at the book of Leviticus. The book of Leviticus. So that's the third book of the Bible. And these are the writings of Moses. Moses made many prophecies. And we're going to look in Leviticus chapter 26. Leviticus chapter 26. And we're going to look at many of the prophecies, that, that at, at, at just a specific set of the prophecies that Moses had wrote. Moses had written, that Moses wrote, Moses had written things concerning the Jews, what would happen if they rebelled against God. Moses wrote what would happen if the Jews rebelled against God. Because what we're seeing in Daniel is actually the fulfillment of what was written. The fulfillment of what was written, we're, we're going to be looking at. Now we're going to see that Moses warned them about this. This is a warning for all of us as well. Moses writes this, particularly for the Jewish people, but the th- same things hold today. He says in uh, chapter, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 14, But if you do not obey me, and he says, but if you do not obey me, so back up in this chapter, he's talking about all the blessings you're going to get if you do obey me. We're going to skip that for today. All right? We're just going to go because this, we're in the context of Daniel chapter 9 where we see the suffering. Why did this come about? It says in Leviticus chapter 26, 14, 14 But if you do not obey me and do not carry out the, all these commandments, if instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as to not carry out my commandments and so break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also, you will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing. If also after these things you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will also break down your pride of power. I will also make your sky like iron and your earth like bronze. Your strength will be spent uselessly, for your land will not yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not yield their fruit. I mean, this is pretty bad, right? No matter what you do, it's going to be cursed. No matter what you do, you're going to work very hard, but it's all going to be terrible for you. Guess what? He's not done. Verse 21. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. I will let loose among you the beasts of the field, which will bereave you of your children and destroy your cattle and reduce your number so that your roads lie deserted. And if by these things you are not turned to me, 
but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you. And I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. I will also bring upon you a sword which will execute vengeance for the covenant. And then, and when you, you gather together into your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And he goes on and on and on at all the things that are going to happen. All these things that are going to happen. Now, you can just read through this, through verse 39, that all the things that are going to happen, it just doesn't end there. You and I can't even think of a list like this that God has thought of. Then he says in verse 40, because again, this is apropos to what Dan, we're going to read about in Daniel chapter 9. If they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their forefathers in their unfaithfulness which they committed against me and also in their acting with hostility against me, I also, I also was acting with hostility against them to bring them into the land of their enemies. Or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humbled so that they, they then make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and I will remember my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for its Sabbaths while it was made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinances and their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God, but I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord." So he goes on and he, and he talks about, but when they're dispersed to the other lands, I will remember them. Part of the portions that we skipped said, you know, it's going to get so bad for you, you are going to even eat, cannibalize your own children. That's how bad the famine is going to be upon you. And you say, oh, that never really happened. Oh, yes, it did. In 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 24, it talks about how there was an attack on Samaria so bad and the people were so hungry that they were eating, even eating their babies. So everything that you see written here, God outlined what would happen. He says, but if you're in the land, and if you start to turn, then I will turn back to you. If you repent and make amends for what you've done. This gives us now a context for what Daniel's going to do. If you turn now to Daniel chapter 9. So let's turn to, to the, the, the book and the portion in question, Daniel chapter 9. And last week, we, we, we read a little bit. This is taking place in 539 B.C. Daniel has been in captivity for about 67 years. Why are the Jews in captivity? Three primary reasons we read. Number one, idol worship. Number one, they turn into idol worship. Number two, they didn't give the land its Sabbath rest. It's weekly rest. Didn't give the land its Sabbath rest or the year's rest on, 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 on this uh, year of Jubilee. And number three, because they did not take care of the poor and the infirmed. Those are the three reasons why they're in exile right now. <clears throat> it's 539 B.C. and we know that because he tells us in the first verse of Daniel chapter 9, in the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus of Median descent. And so, we know exactly what year it was. And we're going to pick this up in, in verse 7 of Daniel chapter 9 because we read the other verses last week. 
Righteousness belongs to you, O Lord, but to us open shame as it is this day. To the men of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those who are nearby, those who are far away in all the countries to which you have driven them because of our unfaithful deeds which they have committed against you. Look at what Daniel is doing. He is pouring out his heart to God because he realizes in three years, this captivity of 70 years is going to be over. But, the prerequisite for getting back into the land is that you have to show repentance. And Daniel is showing repentance. He says, because the men of Jerusalem and Judah really blew it. But not just them. Yes, it's that group that's in captivity in Babylon. But all the rest of the Jews are in captivity in in the Assyrians took them into captivity and dispersed them throughout the world. And he says, all of us, all of us blew it. Then he goes on, verse 8. Open shame belongs to us, O Lord, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. Who is saying this? This is the righteous Daniel. Daniel is calling upon himself the sins of that land. He is making himself one. He doesn't say, well, you know, those people are really bad. No, Daniel put himself as one with them. What you're learning how to do is you're learning how to repent. What you're learning how to do is learning how to confess. If we make excuses in our confessions, there are no excuses for our sin. We don't call upon and say, Lord, you know, for the 10% that was my fault, 90% was the other guy's fault, for the 10% that was my fault, I'm sorry for that 10%. I'm 10% sorry. No. We repent. We repent before the Lord. Watch as he goes on here. Verse 9. To the Lord our God belongs compassion and forgiveness. So what he's saying is, He's reminding the Lord of the Lord's compassion, of the Lord's forgiveness. He says, to you belong compassion and forgiveness. He's reminding the Lord that you are compassionate and forgiving. He's saying, Lord, I know you to be compassionate and forgiving. In this light, remember me. He says, for we have rebelled against him, nor have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his teachings, which he set before us through his servants, the prophets. What did we just read? Moses warned them this would happen. Jeremiah warned them this would happen. Prophet after prophet warned them. Verse 11, Indeed, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, not obeying your voice. So the the curse has been poured out on us along with the oath which is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, for we have sinned against him. He is... Quoting to the Lord, he says, Lord, I read what Moses wrote. We just read that in Leviticus. We just read it. Daniel read the same thing. And it wasn't just that. You read Deuteronomy 28 and it'll make, it will make the Leviticus chapter seem tame compared to the cursings that are going to come upon them in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Daniel's saying, I read these. Moses warned us and you warned us through Moses exactly as he warned us You've made it happen. Verse 12. Thus he has confirmed his word which he has spoken to us against us and against our rulers who ruled us to bring on us great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like was done to Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses. Again, he quotes the law of Moses saying, Lord, I read it. You warned us. As he, all this calamity has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our iniquity and giving attention to your truth. Therefore, 
The Lord has kept the calamity in store and brought it on us, for the Lord our God is righteous with respect to all his deeds which he has done, but we have not obeyed his voice. Look at what repentance looks like. He's saying, you have done exactly what you said. Exactly what you said. You, O Lord, are righteous. You've kept your word. I didn't keep mine. I violated. But you, O Lord, have kept your word. You warned us that if we walked in this way, this would happen. You're not beating us up by surprise. You warned us over and over and over again. Verse 15, And now, Lord, and, and now, O Lord, who has brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and, hand and have made a name for yourself as it is this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, in accordance with all your righteous acts, let now your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy mountain. For because of our sins and the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a reproach to all around us. So what he's doing is he is reminding God of God's faithfulness to them in bringing them out of Egypt. He said, you were so faithful to us. This is what repentance looks like. It is not just, oh Lord, I'm sorry. Okay, let's get on with our day. That's not what repentance looks like. Verse 17, so now our God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his supplications. So now he turns from our and we. He says, me, listen to my prayer and to my supplication. For your sake, O Lord, let your face shine on your desolate sanctuary. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation and the city which is called by your name. For we are not presenting our supplications before you on account of any merits of our own, but on account of your great compassion. The only reason that I can come to you is because you are merciful. Not because of anything that I've done can I even repent. It's only because of your compassion that I can come to you. Do you see how low we are in comparison to God? Here is this righteous man, Daniel, who is put in the category of Job and Noah. Noah was the righteous man. The only righteous man that God could find on planet earth was a man named Noah, the scriptures say. And so he saved Noah and his family. That shows you that if you walk in your righteousness, there will be a covering for your family as well. There will be a covering for your family as well if you walk in righteousness. And then of Job, there was no one as righteous of him in all of the East, in that entire part of the earth. He puts Daniel in that category. Here's what, how Daniel relates to himself in relation to God. He says in verse 19, O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, listen and take action. For your own sake, O my God, do not delay, because your city and your people are called by your name. So why is he saying don't delay? Daniel was taken into captivity in 605 B.C. This is three or four years before the 70 years will be complete. This is 539 B.C. So he knows in three years, the 70 years is up. So why does he even have to pray? God said you'd be in captivity 70 years. Because he said you come out of captivity by repentance. It's not just going to happen. Not only that, Daniel didn't know for sure when God was going to start counting the days of captivity. Was he going to start counting in 509, in 605 B.C.? Or was he going to start counting in 587 B.C.? 
when the destruction of Jerusalem occurred. If it was going to start counting from 587, that meant there were not three years, but there were 22 years left. Oh Lord, don't delay. Let it be that you started counting from 605 B.C. and not from 22 years later or, or 19 years later. Don't let it happen like that. You see what he's doing? He's imploring God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. This is what repentance looks like. So when we come to God, and, and, and let me tell you, I am Jewish. I was born a Jew. I will die a Jew. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. I believe Jesus is the Messiah. And I welcome all you Gentiles into the faith of the Jewish people. Into the belief that Jesus is the Messiah, that He's come and died for your sins. I welcome you in with me. This is what the Scriptures say. It was all Jews. Every one of the disciples was a Jew. It was all Jews. It wasn't until Acts chapter 9 that you saw a Gentile come in. It wasn't until Acts chapter 15 that the church realized what they had to do with the Gentiles. They thought all Gentiles had to first become Jewish before they can follow Jesus. It wasn't until Acts chapter 15 that they kind of sorted this out. They said, okay, you don't have to become Jewish. You can follow Jesus too. It took a while. This is 20 years into the, into the whole thing before they figured out what to do with Gentiles. It's so Jewish. I will tell you something as a Jew. As a Jew, Jewish people feel that, oh, woe is me. Why does the world always dump on us? They feel that way. Why does the world always dump? Why are we so persecuted? Why do all these things happen? And I say it all the time to my Jewish friends. It's because of our rebellion. It's exactly what the scriptures have said. If we rebel, these things will happen, occur on us. And did you know we are not the only people group to feel that sometimes the world dumps on us? We're not the only people group. But if you stay there, if I stay there and just say, oh, woe is me, it's just so hard. Everybody's always against us Jews. I mean, here they are trying to wipe us out. They want to wipe us off the face of the earth. They want to exterminate the Jewish people. I think I'll just sit here in life and say, woe is me, I got problems. And, and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm justified in not getting anything done. I'm justified in not doing anything because the world is all against me. Or will I say, Lord, only by your mercy do I stand. Only by your mercy do I stand. And I encourage my Jewish brethren, come out of that. Come out of that. I mean, we are going to walk in what God has given us. We need to learn to repent and seek God and then we will move up. Then we will move up. We are not the only people group that feels persecuted. We are one of the very few people groups that there have been, people have tried mass annihilation of the entire Jewish people multiple times in their history. Multiple times in their history. Twice, one third of the Jewish people, one third, have been wiped off the face of the, this earth in a matter of a few short years. No other people group has gone through that. But what I am saying is, we can't stay there. So I agree with my Jewish brothers. Yes, we've been persecuted, but we can't stay there. We have to press on. We have to press on. This is what God has for us. So much of what comes upon us in life is because we just sit there. Lord, I repent before you for what I have done. I repent before you for what my people have done. Now let's go on, Lord. Daniel is crying out, let's have mercy and press on. Now, now let's see what happens when Daniel has a right word of repentance. Verse 20. Now while I was praying, 
Now, while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sin of my people Israel, look what he did. He confessed his own sins, of which we have no record in the Bible. But he confessed of his sins and the sins of my people Israel. He's calling upon, I confess of my sins and the sins of my people Israel. And presenting my supplication before the Lord my God in behalf of the holy mountain of my God, while I was still speaking in prayer, then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. Okay, so who appears to him? While he was still speaking, in mid-sentence, as he's repenting before God, He's weary, so we don't know how long. This is just a summary. This is just the abstract of what he was praying. Gabriel appears to him. Who is Gabriel? It doesn't give us more detail because we just read about this in the last chapter that Gabriel appeared to him. He was an angel sent by the Lord. Gabriel was the messenger angel. We will see Gabriel again in the book of Luke. In Luke's gospel, he's going to appear to Zacharias and he's going to appear to Mary, the mother of Jesus. So he's God's messenger angel. So Gabriel appears to him. So he, he, Gabriel doesn't need to introduce himself this time because he's already appeared to him in the past. And Gabriel is this angel. And it says the man Gabriel. When angels appeared, they always appeared as young men. Then the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision previously, came to me in my extreme weariness about the time of the evening offering. There had not been evening offerings in Israel for decades. But he talks about the time of the evening offering. When I was a kid, we always ate dinner in my home at 6 o'clock. Always. I don't know why. We just That's what we did. 6 o'clock was dinner time. And so we would always refer to, we'll talk about it at dinner time. I'll be home at dinner time. Didn't even say 6 o'clock. I just, we just referred to it as dinner time. They got in the habit. You see, Daniel was in the habit, growing up in the habit of the evening offering. So he referred to the evening offering rather than than quoting an exact time. He says, about the time of the evening offering. And he gave me instruction and he talked to me and he said, Oh, Daniel, I have now come forth to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued. And I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. So give heed to the message and gain understanding of the vision. So he says, he says, at the beginning of your supplication, when you started to pray, with the first words you started to say. It's all the way up to the beginning of the chapter. And remember, we just have the abstract. We don't know how many days that Daniel was repenting. We have no idea. He says, but from the moment you started repenting, he says, at the beginning of your supplication, the command was issued, and I've come to tell you. So God issued a command for Gabriel to come. Well, why didn't Gabriel just appear? Because unlike God... Angels are not everywhere at once. Gabriel was sent. There was some time in, 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 in his getting there. Or, or he wanted to see, okay, let's see how far Daniel's going to take this thing. Wouldn't it be interesting to get to heaven and to find out that we were in prayer and we ended the prayer before the real message and understanding ever came? What if Daniel had only prayed like two sentences? Thank you, God, for this day. Amen. And goes away. Well, as soon as he started praying, the angel was sent. But he's done. He's gone away. And the angel shows up. Where'd he go? 
not even here. He's out playing golf. Because he doesn't want to know. I mean, here Daniel persisted in prayer. Persisted in repentance. Persisted in seeking God. And from the moment he started, the angel was dispatched. But it took some time for the angel to get there. I don't know why. Maybe because it takes that long from the angel to get from heaven to earth. I don't know why. Maybe God just wanted to see, okay, what's really in your heart then? How much do you really care? How much do you really care? I don't know why. But it took some time. He says, from the time it was issued, he says, I've come to tell you. Then he says, for you are highly esteemed. I mean, look at the kindness of God. Daniel is saying, we really blew it. I mean, Daniel is just heaping upon himself. He's talking about his own sin and the sin of the nation and God comes to him and he says, you are highly esteemed. I mean, treasures of words. It's like when a father takes a child who's just blown and just, just hugs him and loves You will always be my child. I love you. You know how comforting those words are to a child. This is exactly what God does. He says, you are highly esteemed. He says, Daniel, I really like you. That's really a neat thing to hear. That's what our God does. Daniel is so besides himself. He says, in my time of extreme weariness, in verse 21, he says that he was in his extreme weariness. We don't know how long he had been pouring out before God, how long he had been fasting in sackcloth and in ashes, as it says at the beginning of the chapter. You fast for a few days, you'll feel weary. You really will. God comes to him and he says, you are really something. I really appreciate you. You're highly esteemed. And I've come to give you a message so that now you're going to gain understanding for the vision. You had a vision, now your understanding is going to come. I am utterly convinced if we will seek God, we will get understanding. At the beginning of this chapter, it says, Daniel saw in the books and what was written by the prophet Jeremiah. So Daniel read in Jeremiah, and we read this verse last week, 70 years, Jeremiah said, you'd be in captivity. He also had read in the books of Moses. Daniel was a man of the book. Daniel was a man who respected the scriptures. He had his face in the scriptures. He knew the scriptures. He knew exactly what Moses had said. From the land of our dispersion, we have to cry out. It's not just going to automatically get us back. We have to cry out. You're not going to just automatically get into a place. You know, I gave a talk. I gave a lecture a few weeks ago at a university. And it was a Christian university. And I mixed Christian stuff with, with, uh, with uh, uh, nanotechnology. And I gave this lecture. And one young girl comes up and she says, how long did it take you to put that talk together? I said, you, you mean just the PowerPoint slides? Yeah, yeah, how long did it take? A few hours. She says, I, I, wanted, I want to be able to do that. But she doesn't understand. It's a lifetime <laughs> of studying and seeking God. You don't just teach somebody, pull something together like this. You know, I, I was just throwing... You know, years and decades of my life into that, the actual making the PowerPoint is just a few hours. But there's this feeling like, and she's typing away on her, you know, she's texting as she's talking to me, she's talking to some friend. I want to be able to do that. 
because I want to be able to go out and, 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 and speak to people like this. Oh, okay. Here's a magic wand. Go and speak. Do you see what I mean? I mean, there's this feeling. So we look at that as how, how immature could she be to think that, you know, she's magically going to be able to do this. This is, this is what, what we're seeing here. It, it doesn't magically come. This comes by years of seeking. There is a life in Daniel that is so tuned toward God. There's a life in Daniel in studying the books. There's a life of desiring in Daniel to walk in righteousness. The Christian life is something that we can make a decision today and come in to being a believer, being in Christ. But it is a lifetime of walking that brings maturity, that brings righteousness to get to a place like Daniel is, where God comes and says, you are highly esteemed. Daniel just loved being with God and God just loved being with him. God loved being with Daniel. He says, this is not fair. Why does he love Daniel so much? I mean, Daniel loved him. Daniel loved him. Daniel showed God a relationship. Daniel cared. Christian life is deeper than just flying in and saying, I want to be able to do that. It's like when my daughter was just like about five years old, six years old, she was visiting my office and these students were coming in. At, at, at that time, they, they called me boss. I don't know why. Hey, hey boss, how do we do that? And then I remember when they walked out, my, my, my daughter looked at me. She says, I want them to call me boss. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This, is, this is what we get sometimes. This is what we feel. I want to have this life like Daniel. This comes a lifetime of seeking God. This is the depths of Christianity. This is the depths of life with God. This is what we see in this man's life. It is a walk with God that conforms us, that draws us to righteousness. It is a walk with God that will cause us to fast and pray with extreme weariness. Why would we do this to ourselves? Because I want to get close to God. This is what Christian life is. Do you want a taste of this? Or do you want to walk like most believers in Christ, never even scratching the surface of what a depth of relationship with God is? This is what He has for us. I pray that you come into that depth of relationship. Let's pray. Abba Father, I thank You so much for Your Word, for the truth of Your Word. I pray, Lord, for these young people here that you would draw them deeper into a relationship with Jesus. Father, that they would seek you and seek your face. That they would understand from Daniel what it is to repent. They would understand from Daniel what it is to walk in a depth of relationship. To be one of the book. To be one who studies the scriptures. To be one who learns how to fast and pray even in extreme extreme weariness. Lord, I pray that you'd call some of these here into a depth of relationship so that you would look upon them with high esteem. And Lord, I pray for those here who do not know you. Lord, I pray that they would take that first step today to say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. 
Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe that you have risen from the dead. Wash me clean of my sins. Father, draw them to repentance. Lord, I pray for your mercies upon these young people. Conform them into your image, I pray. Conform them into the image of our Lord Jesus. For your glory. Amen.